What a start for Brad Hughes. 180 metres to go. Looking good. Oh, what a shot. What a shot from Brad Hughes. Oh, my goodness. What a finish for Bradley Hughes. Easy number five, joining the lead. An amazing victory. For the second time, Brad Hughes wins the Australian Masters. This time by five strokes. Welcome to Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast, Episode 6. This week, Brendan Todd. Brendan won the 2014 Byron Nelson Classic and was at the top of his game and then lost it. And this is a real great story for me because I've been working with Brendan. But I think it's a great accomplishment to be able to come back and refine your game. And I'm sure you're going to learn some great insights into how he's done it how he's persevered, the mental capacity that it took to do this, and what his plans are for the future. Enjoy, Brendan Todd. Welcome to Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast, Brendan Todd. It's great to have you here. How's things going, mate? Great to be here. Thanks, Brad. Um, doing really well. Just uh, excited to play a few more golf tournaments on the PGA Tour this year in 2019. Yes, we're doing... We're, Got a little roll going there. Had a great finish last couple of tournaments there to go at the Wells Fargo. That's um, one of your best tournaments for a number of years. How how was that feel being back in contention or coming down Sunday in the heat of it? Yeah, it felt really good. Um, I played very solid the first two days and put myself, I think, in tenth place after two rounds. Um, and I did that by scoring very well, which has kind of always been the signature of my game, chipping and putting well. Um, hitting the approach shots in the right spots and then came out Saturday I would say I was a little bit nervous early on in the rounds and um, put myself in a couple tough spots early in the, on the front nine and you know didn't work my way around them very good but then closed with a two under bogey free on the back nine there to shoot two over and stay, stay in it there at like 20th place and put up a three under 68 on Sunday uh, doing everything very well. Drove it awesome. Hit my irons very good. Short game was pretty solid. Finished um, tied for 18th. So it felt good to be in the hunt and just kind of put put my game together on a very difficult golf course. That course it was uh, firm, uh, lots of long dogleg left par fours, and I tend to fade it off the tee. So had to. Re it really put me on my game uh, off the tee. And you stuffed one on that 72nd hole I saw on the shot link. Yeah, I mean, the 72nd hole is unbelievable. It's a 500-yard par four with water down the left and a bunker on the right. And you pretty much have to have to hit it down the left side to challenge the water. And I hit a great tee shot, and I had 220 yards in. And it was aimed about 10 feet right up with a 5-iron, tugged it right at the pin. And, I mean, that baby, I was just yelling at it to be good and be close so I could tap it in for a birdie and it one hopped off the flag stick and stopped about two feet that's a good way to finish knocking him with a birdie on the last hole so I, I gave a guy a lesson the other day I'll, I'll, I'll throw his name out in a minute you'll probably remember him he told me a story about playing in a North Carolina four ball event one year and he was paired with these two young whippersnappers obviously he's <laughs> closer to my age uh, he he thought he had you guys beat. His name was Greg Earnhardt, if you remember. Mm -hmm. I so, remember that, yeah. All right, so, and he said he was up against these two young guys, got paired with them, thought you'd be, you know, this will be an easy win. What what the hell are these guys doing? It was Brendan Todd and Webb Simpson. Tell us about what happened. Yeah, so Webb and I, I think we're 16 years old, and I believe it was our second year playing the tournament. First year, maybe we finished 15th or so. And um, we are playing, I believe, in Chapel Hill, Mill Creek, and Chapel Hill Country Club. And we got to a nice start, probably shot a five under the first day. And I think got ourselves in the last group after the second round. So in the final group, final round, we're playing the last group. And we hammered it really good. We're playing well. And we made it eight on a par five on, like, 13. And, I mean, how do you make an eight best ball? I have no idea. But, you know, he hit one out of play. I hit my second shot in the water. Sure enough, next thing I know, I'm scrambling for an eight. But we ended up hanging on to win the tournament. And I think surprised a lot of people. You know, a couple of juniors in high school. 
and uh, you know we we were really good players at the time, and we certainly didn't surprise ourselves. We were there expecting to win. And and you grew up in? Did you start? Well, you grew up in Pennsylvania, I believe. Yeah, so born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I lived there for eleven years. And were you playing was, golf by the time you got to North? Yeah, I was fortunate. To, my dad belonged to a country club up there called Rolling Hills Country Club. Had a great pro named John Reck. A couple of the Pittsburgh Penguins were members there. I think Mario Lemieux, Tom Barrasso, Paul Coffey were all members there growing up. And, you know, I had two older brothers. We were all two years apart. And it seemed like every summer my mom just dropped us off at the course. We went and played 18. And then went to the pool in the afternoon, and that's just kind of how I grew up. Like Caddyshack. <clears throat> exactly, yeah, except I'm not the caddy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, was, I was spoiled. So it was uh, it was a great way to grow up. I was playing nine-hole, maybe even some 18-hole junior events by the time I moved away from there at age 11. And so I moved to Cary, North Carolina, just outside of Raleigh. And I was like, man, golf 12 months a year, um, North Carolina – Golf Association had great junior golf tournaments. The Carolinas Golf Association had good junior golf tournaments. And sure enough, I mean, maybe my second or third event I'm playing, I'm playing with Webb Simpson. And, uh, you know, we're going toe-to-toe trying to win these junior golf events. And, um, you know, we just kind of developed a great relationship and good camaraderie and uh, good competitiveness and I think really pushed each other to be good. Yeah, I think growing up with people, you know, who are great players, you always it's great competition to have. Let me ask you, did you win the next year? Did you go defend that four, in, uh, four ball? We didn't, and I don't remember why, but I think um, one of us had a conflict. Maybe there was a bigger junior event coming up, but we did not play again. And I think, coincidentally, um, another good memory of sort of junior golf, it came up recently because I was paired with a few members from this club, but I, I, that that win we had along with probably my state championship win that year gave me a bunch of North Carolina amateur ranking points. So I was on the Carolinas, Virginia's, I was on the Carolinas amateur team playing the Virginia's team up at Kinlock golf club in uh, Richmond, Virginia. And that would have been the fall of my senior year in high school. And, um, that was such a good memory and week for me. Uh, you know, playing with all these 30 and 40 and 50 year old amateur guys, and I'm the 17 year old guy up there competing and, you know, playing Ryder Cup style golf on maybe one of the purest golf courses I'd ever played at the time. Um, and just, you know, just one of those building memories, you know, one of those things I think really kind of taught me a lot about the game and how it's meant to be played. So you, um, you know, I'm sure living in North Carolina, you were probably trying to get recruited or were recruited by North Carolina universities such as, you know, Duke and NC, NC State. I'm sure they all had good programs. But you ended up at Georgia. How did that come about? Yeah, so I think um, it, it started when I qualified probably at age 15 for the U.S. Junior Amateur. It was in 2000, played at uh, Pumpkin Ridge Country Club out there in Oregon. And I played, I played my way into match play, and I was playing the the top five junior golfer at the time and this kid was uh, ranked number one at some point his name was Christo Grayling and he was a bomber unbelievable kid from South Africa he grew up in Orlando led better kid and um, I was I think I I lost to him four and three but he was already committed to Georgia and the coach was out there following us around and I played, played a pretty gritty match I mean I think I chipped in once uh, and held my own against him, except he birdied all five par fives that day. So you know, he was just one of those guys who hit it really far and kind of had that advantage on me and took advantage of it. So uh, immediately after that event, right when uh, college coaches are allowed to send you a letter, Coach Hack wrote me a handwritten letter, and it just kind of stuck with me. You know, it was probably the first big program to reach out to me, and so they kind of had this upper edge the whole time throughout the recruiting process. And I was heavily recruited by Duke and Wake Forest and uh, Georgia Tech and Florida and Texas A&M and Tennessee and a bunch of these good schools. But North Carolina was very late to come on, and that was probably my other favorite school besides Georgia. My brother was going there. Uh, it was 30 minutes down the road. Awesome college experience, good golf program, and just one of those places I thought I would have really enjoyed playing and probably could have gone and had a good career. 
time, John Emmett was just kind of slow to recruit me. And by the time he did, I was pretty well sold on Georgia. So to Athens I went. And you had some great teams there. Like you won the NCAA championship. But run us through some of the guys. You know, there's well before you, there's been like Chip Beck and Tommy Tolls and mm-hmm. Tim Simpson. I mean, it's a, an amazing yeah, sort of program. A team from the 70s, I think, had Chip Beck and Tim Simpson. <laughs> there were a number of other good players on that team. I don't know if Billy Crasher was with them or maybe just after them. But Tim and Chip, if you know them at all, are just polar opposites. Chip's just like yes. <laughs> quiet Christian guy, and Tim's this kind of loud country boy. And I mean, they've both shared some awesome stories about living in the dorm rooms together and, and Tim having to pull guys off of Chip saying, I'll beat your brains in if you get them up my chipper again. And so, I mean, that was that's fun uh, to be on campus there and have those guys come around and share those stories for us. But, um, you know, then, yeah, Tommy Tolles, Franklin Langham, Paul Claxton, we're all good players. Uh, definitely all three of those guys have some uh, web.com tour wins. Ryuji Yamada. Ryuji, and so then Coach Hack comes in 1996 from the AJGA where he was, uh, I think, executive director for about 10 years. So he knew the junior golf landscape. Um, he's a Georgia boy, grew up in Union, Georgia. And was a perfect hire for the university there because he is a Georgia guy and he knows pretty much every good junior player at the time. He already has a relationship with him, so he had no trouble getting in there and, and recruiting. He recruited the the Northy brothers and David Miller and Bubba Watson and Ryuji Yamada and Nick Cassini and Michael Morrison. All these great players that came in and had unbelievable careers. So in 1999. Uh, they won nationals up at Hazeltine. Ryuji might have finished second, I think, to Charles Howe. And I think the story goes Ryuji had a lead or was tied to the lead, but kind of played safe down the stretch to make sure Georgia would win, which was, you know, pretty selfless of him. And, um, you know, one of those cool cool stories from the from their first national championship win. And then the next year they were even better. Or maybe it was two years later. <clears throat> 2001, they had five first-team All-Americans. And that didn't include Bubba on the team. So Bubba was sitting out, and they had, they had five guys. No, five guys were third-team All-American or better, sorry. So each team has ten guys on it. So they had five guys ranked in the top 30 in the country, basically. And then Bubba was on the sidelines. So that was an unbelievable year. I don't think they won it that year, but they, they had a good squad. Um, and those guys, that was the Michael Morrison, um, Nick Cassini, Eric Compton, who's a great player from Miami. Um, David Miller, who's passed. Uh, and uh, maybe Brian Odom. Brian Hibble. I think Brian Hibble was on that team. He was a great player. He's now the coach at OU, and they won nationals a couple of years ago. And then um, when I got there, Kevin Kisner was a sophomore. And me and Chris Kirk came in the same year. And so we immediately had a pretty good team. They already had these other guys. Uh, David Denham, who was two years ahead of me, who was a great ball striker from Tifton, Georgia. Still lives in Athens. I play with him all the time. And, I mean, he'll hit as many or more greens in regulation than me every time we play, which is pretty fun. <laughs> it's fun to go out there and compete with somebody who can hit it, hit it better than you. And then uh, Richard Scott was on that team, too, and he won three Canadian amateurs, I believe. And he was, you know, he was... I don't think he was ever an All-American, but he, he was a stud up there in Canada. <clears throat> and then, um, so that's 2005. That was kind of our squad, the one. It was me, Chris Kirk, Kevin Kisner, Richard Scott, David Denham, all accomplished players. Um, we were pretty much starting five for two years. So we had great team chemistry. We knew each other's games. We had fun on the road. We were always playing cards. And everything came together there that year at Case Valley. And we, uh, we built up a big lead, got paired with our rival Georgia Tech in the final round, and uh, drummed them one by 11. And so that was probably one of my favorite golf experiences, just winning with your team, coming together to play well under the pressure, and accomplish something together that you'll never forget was just a, an unbelievable experience for us. I was, I was looking through some of the Georgia golf records, and, and I... At some point, I thought, yeah, Bubba Watson went to Georgia, but I looked through all the records and everything, and his name rarely appeared in there. So 
he obviously wasn't that uh, great at college and something happened later on. Yeah, I mean, they say he was just a, a great talent who hit the ball really far, shaped it both ways, as we all know, and, you know, maybe just didn't have the, the best attitude or the most grit when it came down to qualifying and being able to play golf and go to school at the same time. There's something about college that it's perfect. It's the perfect storm for some people who are organized and kind of thrive on only having half the day to practice. And then it's awful for some people who are like, man, I don't want to either waste time in class or be distracted by feeling like I've got to get studies for the test just so I can stay eligible. You know, so it's just college golf is very difficult for certain players. And I think Bubba's one of those guys that just didn't really thrive in the college environment, having having to follow somebody else's rules, having to go to class, and, and also compete. And when he turned pro, he went out to the mini tours and I think caught fire and went out to the probably the nationwide tour at the time, now the web.com tour. Maybe it was by.com, I'm not sure. And I'm pretty sure he picked up a win eventually out there. And I think that the story is he came back to Georgia and some fancy car was like, look at me, hacker. You know, I'm pretty, I, I, I was actually pretty good all along. He wasn't, wasn't the Jukes of Hazard car. That came later. <laughs> I think that came later. Um, and, you know, he got his tour card, and he kind of had a little bit of resentment from Georgia, or towards Georgia, I believe, there for a little while. And I think it was mostly stemmed from just feeling like he was good enough to play and wasn't playing all the time. But Coach Axe always had a really open qualifying system where in between every event – you're qualifying for your spot unless you top 10 the week before. So the only way you can be exempt to the next event is to top 10. Well, maybe one or two guys per tournament top 10. So there's always three or four spots available. So if he wasn't playing playing for the team, it was strictly just because he wasn't able to play well at home. Right. It wasn't because he wasn't, you know, one of the best players. And, you know, that, 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 that makes some people unhappy and they feel like the coach just picked them. But that's not really how it works. Yeah, it's always even in, in pro, even in pro golf, you got to earn your way out there. You got to qualify at some point. That's right. It's it's always interesting because you mentioned you know this is a you love that atmosphere because you it was a team event and mm-hmm. that doesn't happen very much in golf. Um, you know, I grew up playing Australian rules football. I don't know if you have ever seen that, and that's you know everyone thinks we're crazy with no pads and running. Yeah, it's an incredible sport. So that was my sport growing up, and I, I got signed to play pro at that when I was quite a young age, fifteen or sixteen, but. Uh, I actually went the other route. I, I liked the individuality of golf. That I didn't want the, you know, the whole team. You know, you look good by someone else, or someone looks bad by your, you know, doings or whatever. I liked it. I liked it being on me. That's why I ended up choosing golf. Yeah, I think we can all relate to that. All of us golfers, at so, some point or another, pick golf because of the individual nature. But you know, when you're playing an individual sport for so long, and all of a sudden you get to experience this team win. In an individual game, you're like, man, that was cool. Yeah, you got you know, someone I else play, to share. I played well. My buddy over here played well. You know, this guy shot 65 the first round after shooting. Kevin Kisner shot 65 in the first round of Nationals after shooting 90 at SECs a month before. <laughs> you know, so it was just, it was for that, I think for that team, it was just a cool turnaround. You know, we really just kind of, everybody clicked and put it together at the right time. That was most improved. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. So you, when you turned pro, what, what did you play on early on? Well, it's probably like an E2 or Hooters 2 or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I, um, I actually, because I was the first All-American my senior year in college, I was eligible for the Nationwide Children's Hospital event, uh, Web.com event up in Columbus, Ohio, which was a regular season event at the time. Now it's a Web Finals event. And so I decided because I was, I didn't think I was going to make Walker Cup that summer because I, I had already made, finished like 30th in the first two amateur events. And I never made one before. I turned pro, played that event. And uh, I think I missed the cup by two. And I remember being paired with Dustin Johnson. He was bombing it. Already looking like the rock star at that time. <laughs> and um, so that was kind of foreshadowing of something to come there. He's done unbelievably well. We were the same year in college. And, um, so anyways, I moved on after that event and I played a Targill Tour event, which is, then became the E-Golf Tour, which now I don't think even exists, but 
It was at Musgrove Mill in South Carolina, and I went out and shot 1,501. <laughs> so my first major event, I went out and won $15,000 and was able to kind of bankroll the rest of my summer. So I went and played two or three Hooters events, a couple more Targill events. I ended up winning a Hooters event, winning $30,000, and kind of cruised into Q School that year, playing really well. And um, was able to go all the way to final stage, so I went through pre-qualifying where I won. First stage, I won. Second stage, I made it through on the number, tied for 16th or 17th. And then I went to final stage and played poorly. So I came out of there with um, bad conditional nationwide tour status and was fortunate to get a sponsor exemption in 2008 into the Athens Regional Classic, which was obviously a home event there in Athens, Georgia. And I was in the lead going to the last round and shot like 79 and finished 25th. So good experience, and it got me to the next event moved me up the reshuffle and I was pretty much played the rest of the schedule out there in 2008 on the web.com tour. It was nationwide at the time. And I put together seven top tens and a win in Utah that year and finished 21st on the money list and got my card. So on to the PJ tour. I mean, it was pretty quick for me. I, for a guy who played probably two or three on our college team most of the time behind Chris Kirk, Brian Harmer for a couple of years, um, I went out there and had some pretty immediate professional success. And, you know, I really liked the ability to pick my hours and play the tournaments I wanted and um, just kind of really work at the game. And um, obviously I was, I was playing really well. I was fortunate to win a few times. And so I got on tour in 2009. And that was that was a tough year for me. That was a, definitely a learning year. And, um, you know, a year I'll never forget. But you did have something good happen in Athens in 2009, yeah? Back at Athens again. I did, yeah. So I was back playing the Athens Regional Classic the next year um, during one of the off weeks on the PJ Tour where I wasn't getting in. And so I'm playing paired with Martin Pillar and Neil Lancaster. Neil Lancaster's an old, old North Carolina legend, actually, from uh, uh, Garner, North Carolina. He's my era. Yeah, he's a country boy. <clears throat> and anyway, so I'm... We're playing late Thursday, and it's my 17th hole. I come to this par three that I've played a bunch of times in college, and I have 165 yards, I hit seven iron, pins tucked left, I hit it right at it, it lands on the green, rolls 10 feet in the hole, makes hole in one. There happened to be a BMW sitting on the tee, and I'm like, oh, I want a BMW. They're like, no, that was only insured for the pro I'm sorry, but <laughs> this is the web.com tour. <laughs> And so the next next day I come out, and that's our eighth hole. It's 9 in the morning. I just bogeyed 16. So I'm coming to 17 tee again, and I'm kind of mad because I'm going to bogey. It's 153 this time. I rip eight iron out, hit it right at it. It lands three feet short, rolls in the hole. Back-to-back hole in one, same hole two days in a row. That's nuts. Um, yeah, it's unbelievable. It's, you know, just kind of a freakish moment. And just uh, – probably you know maybe one of the other most memorable things i've done in golf right there and they and still didn't that there was a there was a film student out there he videoed the second day because i made a hole one the first day he's like i'm gonna go follow this guy <laughs> so he gets it on video and his reaction is crisis he goes oh my gosh it went in and he sends it into sports center he puts it on youtube uh i mean the whole nine yards and he ended up getting a job with the pga tour after college so it was a pretty pretty cool story for that guy and they still didn't give you the car still didn't give me the car chick-fil-a ponied up uh 52 free chicken sandwich combos <laughs> one for every week so that was nice of them i gotta give a shout out to chick-fil-a now obviously athens georgie went to college there right got one of your first starts there went you know that got you a top 25 and sort of got you going the next year had a hole in one two days in a row and then 2013, I think it was, you won it. You won the event. Exactly, yeah. So a couple, you know, four years after the two hole-in-ones, they've switched golf courses. We're over playing the University uh, Golf Course at UGA. And, um, you know, I started to play really, really well that year. I had uh, switched teachers to Scott Hamilton the fall before, and we had worked on some good things, kind of got me tightened up. So I was coming in with some momentum playing a golf course I was familiar with and I went out the first round and shot five under 67 and I was probably in second place third place and then we had some really tough weather come in I remember playing the next two days and just brutally cool 
wet conditions. And I ended up uh, eight under par through three rounds. And we played the third round literally in the pouring rain. There's just a river flowing through the middle of the golf course. And um, you know, I think I, I think I made four or five on the 18th hole to hold, on, hold a one-shot lead. And everybody in my group just congratulated me. They were like, congrats, you're going to win. <laughs> you know, we, we go, go to home, go to bed that night knowing it's a 100% chance of rain on Sunday. And sure enough, we wake up at 10 in the morning. The officials call us and say the tournament's over. You've won. So that was my second official um, nationwide tour or web.com tour win. And, um, you know, one that really kind of propelled my career again because I got my PGA Tour card back that season and went on to win the Byron Nelson the next year in 14. Yeah, they got you back on tour, and then, you know, we, Byron Nelson was last week, and you played in that again as a past winner. Um, right. I actually saw a picture of Robert Damron the other day holding his trophy. So explain the trophy. Like, when they present it to you on the green, it's like seven feet tall, and, <laughs> and the one you get to hold and keep at home is what? How big? It's probably 14 inches tall. <laughs> and, and five of those inches are a wooden base with a silver heart on it that's got the engraving byron nelson champion you know i think it says yeah brendan todd 266 and then uh there's a little statue of uh, i guess a silver statue of byron nelson yeah it's a cool tournament though cool trophy cool tournament cool trophy yeah the, the, the trophy you hold when you win is this big crystal um kind of like a cylinder bowl and then uh, the one you take home is just a little statue of Byron yeah it looks like when they present the 10 uh, pin bowling champions with <laughs> yeah exactly yeah it seemed like maybe a junior golf tournament trophy <laughs> but it's all good I'm, uh, I'm just proud to have won the PGA Tour and you know won such a special man's event he was he was one of the best ever and that was a pretty 11, 11 wins in a row that guy had yeah that that's you know one Staggering. one's great <laughs> Imagine eleven in a row. You'd be tired by the by the end of that. Sure would. So two thousand fourteen obviously won. He came fifth at Colonial. I think he had a good US Open also. And, I yeah, he got hot there. And, um was playing good that year. And won the Byron. The next week I was in the hunt, lost by two shots at Colonial, finished fourth or fifth, and then went to Memorial the next week and finished sixth. Took Memphis off because I'd qualified for my first U.S. Open. And it was at Pinehurst number two, golf course there in North Carolina, about an hour from where I grew up. I had won two North Carolina State Championships down there at Pinehurst on courses four and eight. So I had, a, you know, very familiar with the area, a lot of success there. And it was the perfect uh, conditions for me that week. It was firm, fast, really to drive it straight, enough to drive it all that far. And you have to chip butt well. So I got paired the first two rounds with two of my best friends, Chris Kirk and Russell Hemley, both Georgia Bulldogs. Comfortable setting. I went out and shot four under par for two rounds. Was four behind Martin Keimer and in second place. So I'm playing the final group Saturday with Martin Keimer. It's like 100 degrees. Nervous. Go out there. I think I putted it off the second green and three putted the third. And then me and Martin both putted it off the sixth green. So in six holes, we putted it off like four or five degrees. Like <laughs> Which is not hard to do, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, they had the golf course real fiery that day. There were a bunch of bunch of high scores. I think, I think one person shot under par. <clears throat> Martin shot 72. I shot 79. And I, I fell back into like 20th place. But I got paired with Phil Mickelson Sunday. Shot 69. I finished up 17. Unbelievable week. Uh, first major incredible experience and uh, you know one hopefully I'll get to use again soon and that run nearly got you in the ultimate team event the uh, Ryder Cup you just missed out on selection there yeah yeah I sure did um, I had some more good finishes that summer I think fourth at Greenbrier and so I'd earned some points and I finished 12th on the Ryder Cup points list and I actually played nine with Tom Watson who was the captain that summer at the Greenbrier and uh, you know I had a good chat with him, but I had a baby due um, right there around September 30th, which is right smack in the middle of the Ryder Cup. So 
for a guy who finished twelfth in points, I wasn't one of those guys who was calling, texting, begging for a spot <laughs> because I kind of knew I might not go either way. Which is unfortunate because you know you when you play well enough to earn a Ryder Cup spot, whether you play or not, you want to be on that team. You know, what I mean, it's, it means a lot. You know, it's one of those prestigious events that you just represent your country and something I felt like I kind of kind of earned. Um, but I wasn't picked, and we, my wife gave birth to my son on October fourth, and it was you know the best experience of my life having a child. And something that I'll never, you know, never regret not making the Ryder Cup team, but definitely one of those uh, uh, accomplishments that would have been sweet. If you love golf and want to get better, check out my website, bradleyhughesgolf.com. And for all my latest videos and updates with great information to help you become better, check out bradleyhughesgolf-members.com. And then I think uh, 2015, you played your first British Open at uh, St Andrews, is that correct? Uh, I had played the British Open in 14 as well at Hoylake. Okay. Played, played solid, 30th or 40th. But yeah, then first, uh, my first one at St Andrews, which was an unbelievable experience. I love St Andrews, such a historic golf course. And one that stood up well for me that week, I was playing pretty good. And how'd I think you? I came in 12th. <clears throat> how'd you go getting around there? Did you have a local caddy or just. No, I took my regular caddy. Um, but I did actually have a kind of a friend of a friend was a, uh, a caddy out there. And um, so he came around with me in the practice round and kind of pointed out some stuff. But, you know, one thing I've found about a lot of these, you know, in pro golf, we've been around enough golf courses and, and seen enough things, and we know how we play that we often can get the yardage book, play a couple of practice rounds and figure it out. But the golf course suited me well because you had to place your ball off the tee and then it's the first 10 holes are pretty short. You know, I felt like through 10 holes, I had six wedges in my hand. So I felt like I should be three or four under par every time, which you don't often feel in a major. And then obviously you got to hold on by the seat of your pants coming in, 11 through 18, turn back into the wind and, you know, all kinds of trouble out there. And I actually had it about five under the first round, going to 14, the par five, long par five, without a bounds right. The wind's pumping off the right, so you don't want to aim out of bounds. And I, I drove it into uh, the coffin, uh, that deep, you know, 10-yard long, 8-foot deep bunker up against the left side. I had to try to wedge it out backwards, didn't get it out, wedged it out, laid it up, hit it over the green up against another pot bunker, wedged that one out, 2-putt for 8, and then <laughs> like 1 or 2 under par. Bummed out, you know, I felt like I played a heck of a round. And, uh, you know, I ended up shooting 69-66 on the weekend to finish 12th. So, all in all, a good week. But uh, one I felt like I could have taken a little bit more advantage of. Yeah, I never got to play St. Andrews in a tournament. In fact, I've only ever played there once when I was 17 years old. So, oh, really? Yeah, uh, it looks awesome. Everyone that I talk to, you know, can't believe the experience of, of playing there. And, you know, most a lot of courses are designed based off that. No doubt. I mean, it's such a cool golf course. I I really feel like I understood a little bit more about Augusta National after playing it, even though, you know, Augusta's green and beautiful and St. Andrews is kind of, it's got the wispy grass and it's on the coast and the skies are gray. I mean, they don't feel the same, but when you pay attention to how the green complexes are built at St. Andrews and how you know, some of those holes have, like, the big mound in the front, like 14 at the Master that Augusta has. And, um, you know, how some of the holes you have to hit the ball, drive on the certain side of the fairway to access a pin, you start to understand where Bobby Jones and Alistair McKenzie were, were coming from when they built Augusta and so many of their golf courses. And so I just thought it was such a neat architectural experience and such a neat tournament experience playing the oldest championship we can play on the oldest golf course we can play. So it was, it was so cool. Even the town, the town's amazing. And it's just golf. golf it sure is. Yeah. I mean, it's just a golf heaven. You know, you play golf, there's 10 or 20 pubs, a bunch of college kids, St. Andrews university right down the street. Um, it's, it's fantastic. And definitely one I hope to get to play again. All right. So we've had a lot of good stuff happen. Unfortunately, I got to talk about some not so good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> 
because this is going to be very interesting from my perspective because you know we've been working together for the last year and i i didn't know you much before all this right. i didn't know the good i didn't know the bad i just i just know you from last august when we started but at some point i'm guessing 2015 maybe towards the end of the year something happened with your game can you pinpoint it i sure can and to be honest it kind of happened <clears throat> the first time through in 2009 so i got my tour card first time i go out there the golf courses are long and difficult and i'm a 280 hitter sort of accurate good chipper and putter um you're not getting in all the time so I had, I had pretty much always been taught growing up by a friend of mine back in Cary, North Carolina, named Kent Slinker. Um, he was a good player in his own right, but he kept it pretty simple. Uh, definitely didn't overteach me. We never talked about philosophy or anything. I mean, I really didn't know anything about instruction until I got on the PGA Tour. Well, I was living in Atlanta at the time and had this, I went to this gym that was like a golf gym and there was an instructor there named John Tattersall. So I started working with him midway through my rookie year on tour. <clears throat> and he kind of takes me from a guy who rotates the club face with his forearms and kind of matches my forearms all the way through the golf swing like I always had and tells me I should try to keep my club face more square going back. So kind of shut it, what feels like shut it down, pointed at the ground. And, um, that works for a couple weeks and I actually go to Memphis in 2009 and I have my best finish on tour that year I finished ninth I shot 69 Saturday with Phil and 66 Sunday with Graham McDowell and finished ninth so I'm like okay maybe I'm onto something but I missed like my last 11 cuts um switched away from that guy because I realized that stuff's no good it takes me I missed like all my cuts in 2010 so I went like 18 months without making a cut on any professional tour and um, so it was a long journey to get back out of there and I was fortunate to still have some web.com status so 2011 and I played my way you know through the web.com season kind of piecing together my golf swing working with Scott Davenport up at Quail Hollow a little bit who was a good player in his own right and I finished 75th on the money list which got me you know I think to second stage at Q School which was a big deal I go to second stage, I finish third, after switching teachers again, found to get another guy who was helping me. I go to final stage. Damn, my, my job's in trouble. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> your job's in trouble. I, I, I became a teacher switcher. Once I, once I got my first teacher, I, I started rinsing you guys left and right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, I started working with Cody Barden, another golf teacher in Georgia. He's up at White Collins. And, I go to final stage and I win the golf tournament. It's at Palm, PGA West in Palm Springs. I shoot 17 under. It's blowing 50. It's like we had the worst weather ever in Palm Springs they've ever had. I shoot 17 under, I win final stage, I get my PGA Tour card back. But this teacher wanted me to pay him a fortune to go out there. So I was like, no. So I try, I, my second time on tour now, I'm coming off a shaky year ball striking. I've won one tournament. That's why I'm out here. And I kind of grind through the season to finish 150th in the money list. And, you know, it didn't hit it very good and what needed some more help. So that's when I got Scott Ham Hamilton in end of 2012. And we put together a pretty solid golf swing. Um, wasn't anything, you know, didn't make me a special ball striker, but it made me an efficient ball striker. I hit, I was able to hit fairways and greens, keep it in front of me use my short game as my asset to make birdies and pars and that's what how i was able to build that resume of the, the stadium championship on the web.com tour win in 2013 finish second at the final web finals event um in 13 go to the pj tour in 14 win the byron play the us open so that whole run there is based on the work that it was scott hamilton we're still working 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 but you know he's a guy who travels 90% of the event, so I'm seeing him all the time, you know, we're always, you know, lining things up, adjusting things, and by the end of 15, I wasn't thrilled with how maybe I played on some of the longer courses that year, because if I didn't hit 80% of my fairways, basically I was shooting 72 and finishing 40th, 50th, or 60th, like I did at most of the WGCs that year, the PGA Championship, 
even though some of the FedEx Cup events. So he has an idea that he'd use on some other guys to kind of shut the face down a little bit going back. He's like, man, your face is just a little bit open, and that's why you're hitting it to the right. So we, we try that little kind of closed hinge move going away from the ball, and I go to the BMW Championship in 2015. So long story, well, here's the, here's the nuts and bolts of it. Can I tell you, can I pinpoint where my game went wrong? We shut the club face down, but I went out there and shot like 11 under par for two rounds at the BMW at Conway Farms for two rounds. So I'm playing great, right? I'm in the third event of the FedEx Cup. I'm second place behind Jason Day. I'm in the last group. And I go out there, and on the fourth hole, I'm in the fairway, 210 yards out of four, and like 50 yards right into the weeds. Find my ball, make triple bogey, scatter it around the next two days, uh, miss the tour championship by a couple shots. And... I've kind of got some time to, you know, time off before the fall starts. But, you know, nothing glaring. I'd obviously play some good golf with that swing. We kind of stick with it. And uh, I go out in the fall and, and struggle. You know, and this this right miss creeps into my game. I think, I, I think my second event in the fall, I shot 66 in Vegas and then shot 80 the next day and missed the cut. And I started just wiping all these long shots to the right four irons five irons three woods and i was just like had no idea where it was coming from i kind of spent the off season you know took some time off trying to get away from the game and came out in 2016 with just the same problem and i i, I would basically call it a yip i mean i can remember being in the practice round for the sony open with buddy kevin kisner on a flat fairway and i hit a seven iron out of bounds on the second hole right and I'm just like, man, what is the shot? Like, why am I hitting irons 40 yards right out of nowhere? And um, I basically couldn't shake it for all of 16, 17. <clears throat> basically, those two years, 18 was kind of a probably a whole a, just a accumulation of the two years of struggle and having no confidence. And um, so for three years, I would say I basically have ball striking yips. And it just comes down to playing around with my club face too much in my golf swing and not, you know, sticking to kind of what I grew up doing, which was just turn the club back, let the face kind of match the forearms and hit it as hard as I can. If it falls a little bit right, it falls right. Just play the fade. And obviously and, uh, that, that kills you mentally too, like not, not knowing when that's going to creep in. Yeah, it was so weird. I mean, the reason I'd call it a yip, and I, when I was going through it in 16, 17, I didn't necessarily say it was the yips. But when I look back on it, like what would happen is I'd get over the ball, and I, I mean I've had a, the same routine over the ball for ten years. You know, I set, I line the face up, I set my feet, I take one look at the target, I look back at the ball, and I rip it. Yeah, you know, not a lot of time to think, not a lot of time to adjust. It's just you get your face square, and you you've already made your practice swing. You know what your swing is. You're just going out there trying to hit your shape and hit your target, and um, so, but by the time I'd get ready to pull the trigger, you know, my arms would kind of tense up, my brain would t tense up, my swing would be quick, and I just would feel like I was going to come in there with an open face every time. And I mean, sure enough, I did. And I, for some reason, I, I couldn't ever, like, band-aid it for a week at a time. It seemed like two shots around, I did it. It would just, the nerves would come up. I would lock up and I'd get it right. I'd hit it out of play. I'd make a double or a triple bogey. I mean, you can look back at rounds, round after round, and I'd shoot 72, 3, or 4. I'd play 15 or 16, what looked like solid holes. I'd make three birdies around, but I would have two double bogeys. And so it was a, it was a long, painful three years, and, you know, took a lot of perseverance to, to keep plugging away at it. But that's just kind of who I am. I've, I've got no intentions of, of quitting golf or letting it get the best of me. I basically just wake up every day trying to be the best I can be and get a little bit better every day. And, um, you know, fortunately, last summer, you know, I was working hard on my swing. And that same guy who I was talking about in Athens, David Denham, who hits the ball better than I do, played on my college team. Now he's an insurance salesman or an investment salesman. 
he sits there and he's like, have you ever um, heard of this guy Bradley's use? I said, no, I don't think so. He said, well, I'm always looking for lower body drills. And so I was online looking um, for lower body drills online. And this guy has a bunch of drills on there. I think you're good. You should check him out. He's got a website. So I, I had a vacation plan the next week with my family. I went on your website and thought all the information, the drills are really cool. And uh, there was an ebook, you know, attached on there. And I'm like, $8. I'm buying this ebook. I'm going to read it on vacation. <laughs> so sure enough, I go down on vacation in 30A, Florida. And I read this 100 page book in like two days. I go out to the range, start hitting balls. Everything feels good. I'm like, man, this is amazing. And I uh, booked a lesson with you. And, um, you know, I feel like it was maybe a little bit slow going out of the, out of the start. Um, but I was coming from such a bad place. You know, I, I didn't make a cut last year. I could hardly hit the ball between the trees. And, you know, by the end, by the end of the year, about three months after we started working, I was able to put together a 61 at the RSM qualifier and, um, shoot four outs in the sixties in the tournament. So. You know, I feel like I came a long way once we started working together, and I think right now I feel about as confident as I ever have that the way I hit the ball at the uh, at Wells Fargo is incredible. I mean, I drove it great. I was hitting iron shots higher, softer, both directions. You know, shots I can't really ever rem- uh, remember hitting even in my prime. So um, I'm pretty excited about where we're going. And five out of seven cuts is you know in this. Right. seasons is great compared to you know to where you were it really is i mean it's a it's a building year and um i guarantee it's one that it's, it's going to lead to some really really good play on the pga tour the next couple of years and we you know we talked about your goals and everything obviously you're still full of desire i could see that when we first started working together that you wanted to still do well and 33 years old you're still young in golf really to Right. To, to go at it, but hopefully, uh, you know, some of the things we've worked on and the confidence level comes back, but you, you do need to play those four rounders and making the cuts in them is big, just, you know, like you said, for the whole, the way the year's going to end up or round out. It is. I mean, there's, there's no substitute for experience and competition. And when you, when you miss a lot of cuts on the PJ Tours, the problem is you only played two rounds you probably played at least nine of those holes worrying about a cut line, so you weren't really free. And then if you miss the cut, you have five days until your next competitive event, or maybe you're not in the next week or two weeks or three weeks. Maybe you have a month to think about it. So there's just a lot of downtime in golf, and um, there's just no substitute for having four rounds in a row of getting to go out there under the lights, you know, putting all your practice um, to use and – you know, seeing how good really does it hold up over 72 holes. And then you can make adjustments based on some real feedback, which is four rounds versus two. And, you know, that was something I said a lot during those years where I wasn't making cuts. It was like, man, if I could just play four rounds, I guarantee I would learn so much about my swing and my game and I would build confidence. And there's no substitute. You know, you, you can't really go play a mini tour event and say, yeah, this was the same thing. It just it doesn't feel the same. The golf courses aren't the same. And oftentimes you can't get into a web event. So, um, you know, it's a, the PGA Tour is a place where you just have to be good. You have to be confident. You have to be, you know, disciplined. And you've got to go out there and make cuts and uh, learn and learn and just keep improving. And that's, that's where I feel like I'm at right now. Well, you told me something great the other week. You know, we talked pretty much weekly about your practice and upcoming tournaments. You told me something the other week that I thought was really cool that because you hadn't played a lot and you hadn't put your swing under the gun a lot, you know, in too many tournaments to date, that you would go out and play 45 holes in a day and and see how your swing went the more tired you got. Like you'd walk so you get tired and see what happened with your golf swing. That's a great idea. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so I kind of got the idea last year before um, Q School. I had three months off after the PGA Tour season. I had second stage of Q School coming up, and I was like, man, I haven't played tournament golf in a little while, and I want to be ready. So I carried my bag like four, four or five days in a row, some days 27, and it really got me in golf shape. It got my golf swing in shape to understand, you know, what's it like 
when you're tired after carrying your bag after you know 20 holes or whatever it is and um i felt like it paid off you know i went to second stage and i shot like 73 70 67 63 so i got better every round and then the next monday two days later i went coming off four competitive rounds versus two i went to the monday qualifier for the rsm and shot 61 so i'm like all right i'm on to something and so this year has been a little bit similar where i played i had three months off after that tournament went to pebble beach missed the cut had about a month off played puerto rico made the cut had a month off played dominican made the cut and then i had some more time off before this last stretch of wells fargo uh, and byron nelson so i'm like man i've got to do something to get my game in shape and kind of see where it's at and try and build up some stamina and that's when i kind of got the idea okay maybe i'm not going to carry my bag area this week but i am going to play more than 18 holes i am going to play 36 a day i am going to play 45 one day um and i am going to play you know round after round you know day after day after day sometimes i'm going to play afternoon and morning and i'm going to see you know what does my golf swing do when i'm tired and yeah i found out pretty fast on day two three and four you know kind of what it does especially after playing 36 holes some days and that's all great great feedback for you isn't it it really is and i feel like it helped me at the wells fargo you know i mean i didn't i got off to a a tough start on the third round i hit a loose shot on the first hole i turned into a double bogey but i hit every fairway and every green on the back nine i think and shot 34 so it was just you know the preparation paying off and you know i remember hearing tiger always say he used to do that you know when tournaments were coming up he wasn't he's a he was a he he had long days and he practiced a lot during his early years but he played a ton I mean, he was a guy going out go out in the cart and play 36 holes a day because he wanted to get his game in shape for the tournament and i've heard you you know you talked about how my teaching i, I do a lot of pressures and force and stuff and I read in an interview the other week that you, you love that. You like to feel the swing rather than, I think you said, rather than paint lines on your swing, you like to feel what it should feel right. like. So how did that extra walking and extra playing, did you did you appreciate some of that stuff more? You could feel difference? Absolutely. You know, the, <clears throat> one of the main concepts that we work on that's worked so well is from the top of the swing, sort of kind of, pushing into the ground you could almost say it's a squat but you know for me it's feeling like my hands you know come down into my right pec and my i I put pressure into the ground and squeeze my feet together as i rip through impact and that's really hard to do when you're a under pressure or b fatigued and that was the main thing i learned when i got tired is out of the top i want to just kind of cruise over to my left foot and come over the top of it a little bit and hit me a 15-yard cut out there. And that's not the shot I've been practicing every day on the range for month after month after month. So when I get into a tournament, I don't want to all of a sudden get through 12 holes or get through 48 holes and say, oh, well, I'm tired now. I'm going to have to play a 15-yard cut. I want to know what I can do you know, to still stripe it, still rip through impact and hit that two-yard draw I've been practicing. So the biggest thing for me is you know getting to the top of my swing and you know really using those tired leg muscles and pushing them to the ground so i i'm coming at from a shallow enough angle to hit the ball squarely and i've got your got your your mate jp coming for a lesson uh, a couple of days time actually so Uh-oh. jp Kircher, that's amazing so i've uh, i know i heard one of your podcasts with him mm-hmm not so long ago and he was all about the 430 and he had some weird and wonderful ideas about it so i'm gonna have to Uh, report back to you unless you want to try and explain it one more time oh man i can't wait for to hear how that goes but um yeah so i was on the auto press podcast which is my brother-in-law's podcast his best friend jp kircher who is uh the piedmont college coach so anyways there are a couple characters and i'm on their podcast and I mean, he's just grilling me about the golf swing. He's going on and on and on. and um, He keeps asking about you and all your ideas, and so eventually I have to explain it. But, you know, the thing that's great about you is you, like you say, you talk about ground forces and pressures. It's a field-based golf swing versus 
a mechanical, put the club in certain positions, close the face, take the club inside, outside, all this other stuff, paint certain lines. Um, you know, it's not the eight-step swing that Jim McLean teaches. You're essentially telling somebody to turn behind the golf ball and then press their feet into the ground and feel like their right elbow comes in, in front of their right peck on the way down so that the club kind of lays down parallel to the ground. And when you do that, you're creating a lot of lag, a lot of wrist angle coming down, and it's also going to come from a shallow um, attack angle into the golf ball, which you call the late hit, which also comes from the 430 position. If you were pictured above somebody hitting a golf ball and you put a clock around them and you go to 430, when the golf club gets close to parallel to the ground on the on the downswing towards the golf ball, it's going to be coming in from that 430 angle. And not many, you know, that's where all the best players come from, have always come from. That's what was so great about your book. You talk about all these different backswings, but every single guy is coming in at the 430 angle, and every single guy has a late hit. And, um, you know, it's brilliant stuff, and I can definitely say it's, it's turned my game around. And I was on the range last week with Russell Knox, and I mean, he was grinding on it, and he's he's laying that club down like it's his job. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun fun to see a couple of you guys out there playing playing together too. I think you nearly played uh, your group behind one another last week at we the were, Nelson. Yeah, yeah, I played right behind them. So it's, it's good to see them playing well too. All right, it's so good. Go, good stuff. You know, you're you're six foot three. What you know, that's pretty tall for a golfer. Do you think that's helped hindered yeah. or was about right? Um, I think it's helped, and it's probably about right. You know, I think more guys are showing up taller out on the PGA Tour right now, uh, more athletic. I think what it's done for me, <clears throat> I'm maybe not the most athletic guy out there. I might not have the most biomechanically sound swing. I don't hit it the farthest, but because I'm tall, I still hit it far enough. You know, and I, and I feel like I still have sort of power in the bank that maybe I haven't even tapped into that, uh, you know, maybe I'll be able to play this game for a really long time because of my height and my long arms and, you know, the way I've taken care of my body over the years. Well, the good news is you got some ground pressures in. I see that every video you send me now. Absolutely, baby. <laughs> Squeeze my board together. All right, mate. So what's coming up for you? How uh, how things looking? You're in the past champions category and a couple of good, few good results this year probably jumped you up the ranking. How how many more right. we expect to see you yeah, in? Yeah, so... I've played seven events, five cuts made. Like you said, I'm 189th in the FedEx Cup. Um, probably, you know, one more top 30 away from guaranteeing making the web finals, which would be a, you know, a nice three tournament run to get into and earn my PGA Tour card back at a minimum. And um, I'm really excited about maybe contending for a win this summer. I feel like my game's there. And, um, it's just a matter of time before I put all four rounds together. So the web finals is probably the least of my goals, and having a chance to win one is probably at the top end of my goals, which would propel me to get my PGA Tour card back. And I can do that by hopefully getting into the Canadian Open in three weeks and playing well, which is at a good golf course that I like, Hamilton Country Club. I also have my U.S. Open sectional qualifier in Dallas this coming Monday. Uh, it'd be a real treat to get out there and play Pebble Beach in the U.S. Open, another historic golf course that I've played well at. And then I will definitely get in um, probably the 3M Championship, the John Deere Classic, the Barbasol Championship in Lexington, and the Barracuda out at Reno Tahoe. And I said it was an outside shot of getting in the Wyndham Championship in Greensboro, North Carolina. That's great. So, yeah, I've got a good schedule coming up. I mean, I'll play a lot of golf come July and August, and hopefully uh make a run into the FedEx Cup well I'm going to look forward to it because I've been wrapped to be part of helping you and seeing a good turnaround everyone loves a good a good turnaround especially when you've reached that level and you know wondered if you'd ever get there again but you've you've probably put in more work than anyone I've ever worked with so you deserve deserved everything you've got so far hopefully there's a lot more to come yeah thanks a lot Brad I, I, I believe that too it's going to be a good year and a good run all right, mate, I'll let you know how JP goes. I'm sure he's listening. Can't um, wait. 
We might have to do a, a podcast breakdown of his of his work one day. That sounds good. Let me. Uh, I want to call in on that one. All right, we'll, we'll three way call. Rip some rip some questions at him. <laughs> Okay, mate, good luck. Thanks for talking to us. Hope everyone enjoyed listening to Brendan Todd, and good luck in the future, bud. Thanks a lot. See you soon. See you, mate. Well, that's it for another episode of Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast. For more information about my golf instruction, check out my website, bradleyhughesgolf.com. If you like to watch golf videos to make you a better player, sign up for my members-only site, Bradley Hughes Golf hyphen members.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.